Unium is the subscription management hub for B2B SaaS companies. Whether you're looking to expand to new markets, experimenting with pricing models, or simply want a streamlined quote to cash process, Unium got your back. On top of that, Unium Insights provides the SaaS metrics you need for reporting to the board and for future company valuation. It gives you the key figures needed to drive your business forward and take strategic decisions. Unium. We help SaaS companies manage their B2B customer subscriptions. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from the German-speaking area, Germany, Austria and Switzerland. Today, and this is the last interview of 2022, and I would like to welcome Mark. Hey, how are you doing? Hi, Joe. Thanks. Very good. And you? Doing great as well. Um, we talked before and you're currently in Berlin, but there is a Christmas party going on on your company tonight. So you are in the office of your investors, actually. Yes, that's that's true. Uh, too many people to record the, the podcast. Uh, we just have a small office in Berlin because we're a fully remote company and I usually spend my time in Photo and Tour, at least in the winter, so that I can kite surf and uh, enjoy the sun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very nice. I I have to admit, I love um, seasons, and I also enjoy uh, going out in the snow with my sons. But nonetheless, I can also see the charm of being in a warm place in the U.S. Many people do that when they retire. They're called snowbirds because they're leaving when the snow is coming. Um, you are a serial entrepreneur, and we'll get soon into some of the stories, but uh, I've been listening to some of the um, other podcasts I found about you, and you originally from Schwaben, the area um, where people may know Stuttgart, the headquarter of Porsche and Mercedes, and also Bosch is headquartered somewhere there. Yes, as much as I always try to to hide my past. Uh, I think at the core, I'm, I'm somehow a Swabian. Um, <laughs> I'm somehow the, some, in some ways the stereotypical Swabian that wants to be an entrepreneur um, and always tries to optimize the little things and processes. Yeah, I do believe there are some good entrepreneurs from there. Bosch, um, Benz, Wirt, uh, also Schwaben. Yeah. yeah. The worldwide brand for the small screws and, and all the little parts you need there. Um, like some people say, the fiddly bits. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> I, I also learned that you've been writing software pretty early on and you tried to sell it. Yes, but that was really early on. I, I never managed to, to become a proper developer, I would say. So I was really at the MS DOS Q Basic uh, days. So I think I had my first computer when I was five, six. So I got a computer. My father's old computer, so um, 268 um, processor, and then we start writing a bit of software in QBasic, learning software, little calculators, um, stuff like that, and, and trying to sell that to, to other parents um, for their kids. So that was kind of our first little venture that we ever started uh, together with a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. um, but 
that is not too bad. He tried it pretty early on. Um, I've said you are a serial entrepreneur. I've seen from your LinkedIn profile, which of course we link down here in the show notes, that you've been with Team Your Ventures, founder and CEO of Sommelier Privé, co-founder of Who's the Soundproof Booth, where you, where you can go in a co-working space and have a phone conversation. By the way, why are you not in such a booth here? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is very good. In the office, I got one, but I thought still too many people yeah. around. Um, and currently, that's what we will talk about here, founder and CEO of Cont Control and 9am Works. We later get into 9am Works. But first, can you take us a little bit along that journey? Yes, I think, um, well, I've been, even before, always a bit entrepreneurs. I was a DJ when I was a teenager and, and organized little festivals and then um, had always my little list of, of ideas on how to, what kind of company to start. Co-founded a classified ads marketplace during, during my bachelor um, and then went to Team Europe after that, um, was part of the team back then was first called Submarine and became later uh, Digitale Seiten. Um, so also in the classifieds field, uh, a startup. Um, in parallel, a bit later, two or three months later, um, Delivery Hero started at Team Europe. Um, so then I went to, to Paris in my master's, started Sommier Privé, a wine e-commerce company, which was for um, curated wine selection. Um, uh, for me, a, a more modern or adequate way of buying wine. Um, had a bankruptcy end of 2014 with that company, freelanced about a year, and then started Code Control. And throughout the last, now I think almost seven years, um, I've been doing code control, built a lot of product, and then uh, Who's came up at some point because we needed more space to do calls. Since uh, I mentioned we're a fully remote company, and, and my wife and me were, were were thinking, and how could we do that, and what would be the right setup? So we started building our own first prototype uh, together, and um, then she said, "Well, look, I, I just got out of parental leave. Why don't I start that company?" She has herself a background from. Rocket Internet and lots of startups, and then she she took that company and and I support here and there because I, I love physical products. Um, yeah, and in the end, started 9 a.m. Um, we're live since beginning of this year, which is our newest little baby and our freelance operating system. We're very excited about. Oh, oh, you're way ahead of my plan here. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was I was just going through your uh, profile and I found it very interesting. You studied uh, um, in Switzerland, the University of Lausanne and uh, St. Gallen. But what I also found interesting is the University of San Diego. Did you go there j j just for surfing? Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> so I had the chance to go either to Colombia and New York, but it was winter semester, um, or to Hawaii, or there was in between San Diego, which was still a decent company, a uh, decent university, um, but also a lot of laid back surfing time. So I chose San Diego, had a fantastic winter there, and, and then went back to Sangal. Ah, I see. And um, HSC Paris, um, I don't know how this fits in. Where are the waves in Paris? Yeah, that is true. That didn't work. Uh, I was thinking of something else originally, but in the end, um, I should say became it. Um, and it, it was, I mean, it's a great university um, and it's a fantastic experience because it's uh, on campus. So I lived on campus. So it's it's a bit like, I guess, I never went to boarding school, but I imagine it's like boarding school, but without the people um, 
um, looking over you so you can do all kind of fun and parties that you want to do. So it's, it's quite nice. Sounds pretty good. Um, it looks like from your CV, you graduated from uh, in Paris and then you instantly started uh, this curated online wine shop. Uh, let me guess, you got a lot of exposure to French wine in Paris? Exactly, yes. <laughs> so I definitely want to do something with a nice product. And, and I, I still love wine. It's It's just such a a product with so many elements, so much um, love, so much um, craftsmanship in there um, and so much variety. Um, and it's at the same time a product that is so hard to understand for the end consumer. And that was where we started um, after after Paris because you go to a supermarket, you have these huge shelves of, of wine and you have no idea which wine to pick, right? And, and that was kind of the starting point where we said, okay, we need to find some uh, logic on how can we curate wine and how can we create a, a tasting algorithm um, so that people get matched with their right wine and, and only drink wine that they really love. And uh, yeah, we did that. Um, was it quite a journey? Um, I drank a lot. That was for sure. So I think five days, five days a week for sure. <laughs> Too much wine. Um, that was the fun part. It was a lot of work. It was a tough time because um, investors were not really interested in, in investing in, in wine companies. There were a few others that didn't work out um, just about the time that I started. And so that was really, uh, I learned a bad timing to, to start a, a venture-backed um, company. Um, so it was quite a struggle. We raised about a million in total um, and had a bankruptcy end of 2014 then. Um, before we get into that, I realized that there are a lot of wine companies that have been sold prior to or in the beginning of Corona. And some of them uh, had prices something like eight digits, uh, tens of millions, or single millions. Um, do, do you believe that you've been just too early with the idea, or did they do something complete? Um, I know. I think there are many things we. So we iterated over and over the model. We started with a wine subscription model. That and more on the higher price tier that didn't work out too well. I think there were a lot of companies at the same time doing food boxes that that had a hard time. Um, then we moved more into a shop that is um, sorted the way that uh, based on the wine taste of the person that worked way better. Um, but still, the customer acquisition costs were fairly high, or they still are fairly high. So you need to make sure that that it's you need to pre-finance. If you get the right customers, you have really sweet CLVs. You 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 get a lot out of a uh, loyal wine customer. And we had very loyal, loyal wine customers, but you need to buy them. So you need to have the cash to buy them. And um, that was a bit of a tricky story because we just didn't get investors convinced. Um, we started a, a wine app, something very similar to the Vivino. It was also in parallel um, where you can take a picture of a wine label and then buy that wine instantly in that moment. And we were the, the first one in integrating that with the drop shipping and wine, the market is super fragmented. It's, it's really, um, also very much a people business where you need to get in contact with the people and drink with them. Um, so we had over 10,000 different wines in, in our, um, in our shop. And so we were able to really uh, deliver a lot, a lot of the wines and, and we were investing into that app. Um, and that was where we actually went bankrupt because in the end, first uh, a serious A financing didn't happen. Then we had our existing investors that said that they would bridge us. Um, and then they pushed the signing appointment for the, for the bridge loan 
for the financing uh, back and back. And after they pushed it back the second time, they told us, oh, we actually won't do it. Um, so it was an, at that moment, we were completely out of cash. Mm-hmm. We had some other investors lined up, but we were as a crowd finance and the contracts took a long while if you would need to do a down round. So it was all a bit of a tricky setup um, to get out of it. And we were also very tired. Um, we've been fighting for two and a half years and, and we were tired. Um, so I think it was a combination of it's been going on too long um, and we're not getting the right cash in. Um, I think there was so many learnings along the, along this, uh, this journey. Um, one of the biggest was for sure to never start a company alone um, mentally, but also to, to get investors. Unfortunately, I did it again and again. <laughs> so, so what can I say? But um, I, I never wanted to do it. Um, yeah, but I think it, especially if you go into venture backed, um, that's you just need to have co-founders. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, you said you were tired. In another interview, you hinted you've been pretty close to a burnout. How did you deal with it after the end of the company? Because everybody says, yeah, you need to fail in order to become a better entrepreneur. But nobody tells you how to get up on your feet again after <laughs> you fail. Can you give us some tips here? So, um, yeah, I burned out actually about a year before that, because that was the first time that we had to lay off people and I had to lay off about 20 people, been been pushing hard for, for financing round. And um, I, I, I worked nonstop, weekends, public holidays, completely through and, and day and night. Um, so what happened is in the end that I, I, I really, at this moment, I felt like um, some APA was slipping out of my hands and, um, and then it was so weird because at that moment I fully identified myself with the company because I worked so much. I didn't take care of my, my friends and, and hobbies or sports or anything. So it, it, and this one thing, this company, I didn't know where to go anymore. And, and that pushed me into this hole where I was, um, I would say for about two months, perhaps even three months, pretty useless at work, I would say. Um, until the moment that I said, okay, I need to stop working for a bit, um, to recover. And, and that was, that was even before the bankruptcy. And that helped me a lot later throughout the bankruptcy as well. Um, because what I realized in that phase is that to me, it's crucial to keep a, a distance between me as a, and as an entrepreneur, as a person at work and me as an individual person privately. And um, I focus on me being happy. Um, I'm focusing on having enough me time. So I, I work less. I, I made sure that usually I don't work um, later than seven o'clock in the evening. I don't work weekends. Um, I make sure that I do enough sports, that I, that I have enough um, interactions with my friends. So that my private personality, my private me is always happy. And then there is work. And work is something that I absolutely love and I spend the biggest part of my life doing that, right? So, um, but it needs to have limits. And I think that has been, so splitting those two and, and giving work a limit. I think these has be, have been the, the biggest learnings. And another one that happened throughout this burnout, I, so in the beginning, you, you tend to, um, I think, thinking too much of, you think that you're too important for the company. You're really important for the company. That, that if you're not in the company, nothing will, will happen, right? And when I wasn't actually bringing any value to the company and for parts not working, um, 
and I came back, I looked at what was happening, then I, I, I saw that everything was running and the team was doing a better job than I would have ever imagined. They made decisions without me and the decisions were better than anything else. So it helped me a lot in, in developing my, my leadership more in the direction of um, trying to be completely obsolete at the company. So my my day-to-day work is always on, on, on making myself obsolete. And we have it at for our OKRs of our strategy next year as well again. Um, make Mark obsolete, right? It's one of the strategic elements. And and I think it's it's really important that we take ourselves as, as leaders or founders not too serious. Um, we bring value and we need to see where we bring value, but the company doesn't depend on or should not depend on mm-hmm. us. It, it reminds me of an interview I had um, in my other podcast, Starting Why, with a person who was a high-ranking uh, employee at an American-based a tech company and he had his uh, first heart attack in his early 40s because he just completely lacked sleep and I, but i also realized this in myself when i started out as an entrepreneur in the first half year there was at least one day a week where i worked until midnight I, i've cut this considerably plus the rule is also for me i don't work on weekends and i realized If you put in like four, five, six additional hours at night in the evening, the next day is even less productive and then you need more. It's it's kind of a vicious cycle. And that's something I also tend to break um, by working maximum until 10 p.m., starting not too early. And of course, having some free time talking to other people, because if you only sit in front of your laptop, you don't won't get any good ideas, especially if you're very tired. Um and so basically, who's the box, soundproof boxes are the show of your wife, if I understand correctly. So, so exactly, we, yeah. we kind of skipped it. J- just one question. When, when we are at your place at home, would there be a soundproof booth for phone calls somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but there's these little bits and bobs that, that came out of it. Like you would find a little shelf or something that is uh, out of a prototype of a, a booth and, and so on. So, um, yeah, we love, we renovated our apartment ourselves. So, so we love DIY. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's part of, of what we do. Mm-hmm. And then you started first co-control which is still alive but then you made it a little bit broader with 9 a.m um the the roots are back in your freelancing can you take us along the journey how you develop code control and why now 9 a.m works is the next evolution for that and then we get into finally your current company (laughs) (laughs) sure um Yes, look, I, I've been always a fan of future of work and future of education. So um, I ended up being an entrepreneur because I, I did internships in banks and, and so on. And I, I always realized that this is not a way that I can be happy at work. Um, and, and I think I was arrogant enough and said, well, no one really can be happy like that. So um, I, I always took an interest in how can you make people happy at work? And and then I started freelancing and realized how many of these boxes that I've set myself for happy work, um, it ticks. So freelancing is just such a, gives you so much flexibility, so much freedom. Um, you decide where, when, and how you work. You decide who you work with. And every morning you decide that you're going to work. 
in a in a work contract you kind of sign with your blood and then you you, you go until the end for that company and uh, you wake up and you might not want to work uh, for them anymore so that's why a fifth of people actually want to quit and what is the concept of um, quiet quitting all of these things don't exist for freelancers um they do what they love uh, so i I did that and I was fascinated about it. But at the same time, I realized that you spend about 30% of your time on things that, that are actually not at the core of, of your work. So you do sales, admin, writing invoices, running after invoices, which is completely annoying because you need to live off that money. Um, insurances, finding a co-working space. You need to define what are your skills? What is your career path? So all of these things. So you're just this little solo entrepreneur um, while you actually just try to, to sell your work. Mm-hmm. And and that was the beginning of code control. We said, well, um, we want to create a, a curated freelancer marketplace. In that case, for tech freelancers, product managers, developers, and designers, and take only the best people in this community. And by having the best people in there, we can um, afford to take as much as possible care of those thirty percent that the freelancers don't want to do. And um, yeah, we've been doing this since two thousand. 15 and the end of 2015, beginning of 2016. Um, and, and always build a lot of products around it and try to understand how can we make the life of freelancers better? And naturally working with, with companies also as well, how can we make the life of, um, um, of companies better? And, and that's how we ended up in the end with, with 9M, where we decided we want to make it a bit broader. We don't only want to focus on a small group of tech freelancers and the best tech freelancers in Europe, but we want to make it open for every freelancer, every knowledge worker, at least every knowledge freelancer. Um, and we may want to open it for all companies mm-hmm. and even recruiters in the future. Mm-hmm. I see. And we now understand it has something to do with freelancers. You take some of the work. Um, Can we do like a a journey of, let's say I'm an aspiring consultant in the startup space and I want to register at 9am works. What do you do for me and what do you need for me? Yeah. um, So for 9am, that's bottom line of what we're doing is we, we try to be an infrastructure for freelancing. Um, So we call it, freelancing operating mm-hmm. system and and first everything starts with the perfect profile and that means so you, you have to imagine that if you've ever done a linkedin research or on, on marketplace you see that most people don't have good profiles and that's that's obvious because why should i know how to create the best profile so what we do is you, you sign up you give us a bit of information give us your cv your linkedin your whatever profile you have your website and we create a profile for you Because we have professional resume editors and we create a profile for you. And that is the beginning of your sales journey. Because at the core of what you do in, in freelancing is you, you try to understand how to get more and better projects. And, and that is something that we specialize on. So we create this profile for you. You have in there a lead form, a sales form that you can use to, to qualify all the leads that are coming in. You can embed it on your website or on LinkedIn or wherever you want to do And then you can manage all the incoming leads um, through 9am. So it's kind of a freelancer project CRM mm-hmm. where you can just keep track of all of your projects without you yourself needing to enter anything. There is a top and eight in the community where you can um, get any kind of help. Um, we have on top um, open hours for um, talking to tax advisors, um, for um, talking to lawyers. 
And we will launch also end of the year a finance hub or payment hub where you can um, get all of your invoices financed or even, and this is something where we're currently still looking on how we do it, um, find a, a way to invoice through the platform your customers and get paid through the platform. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds pretty good. What type of freelancers can you work with? And uh, as we're talking about payment, there has to be like a legal limitation from where the people can come from in order to also use your payment solution, right? Yes. Um, so generally it's all knowledge workers. So for 9am, it really doesn't matter uh, what kind of knowledge work you do. It, um, um, everyone is welcome. Um, from the geographies, we are a European German-centric company, meaning we have a lot of customers in Germany and we have um, talent all over Europe. For contracts, it's the easiest if it's within the EU, but there are a few um, other countries that work out as well. Um, that said, our product is completely for free for freelancers. Just the payments part will cost freelancers, but the product is completely free for freelancers. And we've built a lot of different solutions for companies, and that's where we actually make money. That would have been my next two questions. First, how you make money and what is it? Uh, why is it useful for companies? Because we do have a lot of um, entrepreneurs listening here, including freelancers. Yes, I'm freelancing myself, but also entrepreneurs. Can you tell us a little bit how your solution helps the companies who want to hire freelancers, who want to get the best talent for a certain period of time? Yes. Um, so first of all, at, at Code Control, it always goes through us, right? Um, we offer 40, within 48 hours the best talent um, provided by us. At, at 9am, there, there are different ways. And this, when we started 9am, we went back to this idea of becoming an infrastructure provider for freelancing, um, looked into what marketplaces do and... Um, Uh, what, what different freelancer services do, time trackers or accounting software and so on. And, and identified that we want to be different than traditional marketplace. A traditional marketplace like could be even like LinkedIn. Um, they, they always start with owning the profile and owning the lead. And, and then they say, well, um, this justifies that we make money. And, and we think a bit differently. We say, well, in the end, we don't own the profile. Please, this is your profile. We help you having the best profile, but please multiply it on lots of different places and make sure that in these different places, um, you, can, you can use the profile to sell better. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other side and there's the lead. And there we do the same thing. Instead of a marketplace where it's very clear that on the marketplace, you make money with the lead. We take in, in on our case, we say, The, the project itself should not be monetized. So our freelancers can get projects from several different external platforms. Mm -hmm. We scrape them, we optimize them, put the tags in it, categorize them, and then match them against the profiles of the people so they can find 100% on the job of the jobs on the platform. But that means as well that we need to rethink the way that we do pricing. Mm -hmm. So a traditional marketplace just takes commissions. Mm -hmm. We go in and look in this whole value chain of recruiting a freelancer, you have different steps. You have certainly the profile, you have searching for the profile, then you have the vetting process, 
then you have the contracting and compliance process, and then you have the payment process. And what we do is we, we split it into different parts and take cuts in those, of those elements um, where we create value add. So on the platform, you can search yourself for free. So if you go on 9am.works as a company, you can search for talent yourself. But you can also ask us to do the search, the vetting, the admin, the payment, and so on. And that is where we make money. You can, however, as well um, do contracting on the platform. There's a basic contracting that is for free that you do the contracting directly that works for yourself. So it's an online contracting tool. But if you want additional contracts, other contracts, additional compliance services, that is where cost comes in. And there are different tiers. So that's a subscription model, software as a service, traditional subscription model, where we take based on what kind of tier you're in. Mm -hmm. So the more people you hire, the more compliance you need, the more we take. And um, the last part is payments. And that is where we're kind of a payment solution for um, consolidating all of your freelancer invoices, no matter where you got those freelancers from, and send you only one invoice once a month and make sure that all of the elements, the line items on these invoice have been approved. And that is also a paid service that goes on a commission model. That a transaction fee model. For everybody who's not in who has not been in like a big project with a lot of freelancers they will all invoice you at a different time likely towards the mid or the end of the month depending when they started how their how their invoice cycle works they'll all have different formats depending on where and when you work different languages different currencies maybe and so on and so forth so it can Basically, if you have a very large project, you need at least one person in the admin staff just to do that, just to make sure all the invoices exactly. are checking out, right? And you, you have always two elements. You have the the formal correctness of the invoice, right? Is everything on there that you need on there? Um, especially with cross-border transactions, you have a lot of different issues. You might need a VAT number, you want to verify it, and so on. Um, and then the other part is, Is the, is the content right, right? Is this really approved? And both of these pains we take away. And there's another pain that we take away for bigger organizations that is um, usually in bigger organizations with ERP systems, you would need to get every freelancer through your purchasing department, mm -hmm. do a legal check, do a kind of a KYC and give them a supplier number. So you onboard them as supplier within the company. Now, If you, I don't know, Deutsche Telekom and work with, let's say, 15,000 freelancers a year, then that's 15,000 suppliers that you need to onboard and get into your system. And what we do with our consolidation and the contracting engine is that we help that such a company needs only one supplier. And that one supplier is 9am. And underneath, we have all of the other suppliers, which are all the different freelancers. They get consolidated into these invoices. And now you can pay them um, out of one ERP supplier. Um, I just have to smile. Um, when is it worth for a company to do this? Do, do you need annually 15,000 freelancers? <laughs> <laughs> no, but please, if you do, then please come. Um, no, literally, it's, it's a freemium model, right? If you're a small organization, then the product is for free. And if you need here and there a freelancer, it's for free and you can use it. It's, it's not the target group where we want to make money. 
Um, there are certain elements like compliance in Germany for self-employment is really big. Uh, so we've created with Hogan Lovells a, a compliance hub um, to ensure that, that you can work with freelancers with as little for self-employment risk as possible. Um, so these little elements can become interesting. It can be that you're scaling a lot and you want to use our API to work directly with your ATS. So perhaps the subscription element makes sense, mm -hmm. right? So it's completely flexible. You can sign up, use it for free, have a look around. You don't need to use all of the hubs. You can use just individual elements. Um, so it's, it's a very flexible and open tool. And for everybody who wants to check it out, of course, we have it down here in the show notes. Wherever you're listening this, wherever you're watching this, go down here in the show notes. There is a link in case you're listening to this on IBTR Internet Radio Station or Startup.Radio. Go to medium.com forward slash startup rate minus IO. That is our blog. And there you'll find the show notes of 9AM Works. Um. The usual questions are the stuff that is left. So first of all, I, I understood you have initial investors since you've been basically growing with um, their financing and your own revenues, maybe a little bit debt uh, added on. Um, are you open to talk to new investors? Yes. So we're, we're profitable since 2019. Well, we were profitable before we took a financing round and since 2019. We're profitable again, um, meaning we finance um, 9M completely out of the cash flow from, from code control. Um, we are open for talks always. Um, we are certainly at a, at a stage where financing route needs to be 10 million plus to, to have an impact. Everything else we can easily do out of cash flow and, and bank financing. Um, with 9M, we believe that about six to nine months is a good moment for us to look again into the um, options of, of doing external financing. Mm -hmm. And of course, it, it's interesting because you are uh, you are helping freelancers to get new jobs, but are you looking for like permanently hired people? Are you hiring? Yes, of course. Um, yeah, we always hire. We're fully remote company, so we're hiring all around the world. Um, different positions from community managers to growth managers to recruiters, account managers, um, event managers, um, literally always have a look what is open right now. I know at this moment we have a growth manager role open and a recruiter role open. Um, yeah. So always definitely check out our career page. There's, there's definitely stuff on there. We have unlimited holidays to have mentioned. That. <laughs> um, it's, it's a, it's a nice package. That that really means unlimited holidays. It's it's not the PTO like you know in the US, right? It's it means well, we have to actually for everyone that is in Germany, we have to track it. Um, it means that you need to take a minimum of twenty five days of holidays. Otherwise, we push you away and say you're not allowed in the office anymore. Um, and then you take as many as as you need that year. We made the, we have made the experience that there are just years where you need more and years where you need less. Um, so decide yourself, um, as long as it's more than 25, we're happy. That is a good choice. Um, it, just from my personal experience, the year you become a parent, it, it's usually t a good, good year to take more time off. Yes. <laughs> Mark, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for our audience. 
Merry Thank Christmas. Happy New Year. You're the last interview going live this year. There will be only um, the FinTech review and an additional bonus episode coming up this year. And we will be back in January 2023. Guys. Thank you very much for being our audience here. Mark, again, for being our guest. And have a safe time. Relax. Enjoy. Take your time off and start the new year with a new energy. Thanks, John. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye-bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring. When you're an entrepreneur with a great idea, it can be daunting to find funding. Startup Raven takes the process out of your hands by helping entrepreneurs connect and learn about potential investors all in one place without any long-filled forms or thousand questions. Sign up for early access at StartupRaven.com.